Juggling motherhood and modern day life can be stressful and relentless, but it doesn't need to be this way. The Joy of Being podcast is the answer to maternal mental health, bringing sustainable relief and calm to hardworking mums everywhere so that you, your family and work can thrive. My name's Marina Pearson and I'm your host, transformational coach and mum who loves to interview business owners, transformational professionals and creatives to have insightful conversations about what it takes to really live a life that is thriving, fulfilling and full of joy. And today I've got some amazing news. You can now order your very own version of the Joy of Being book, supporting hardworking mums to stress less and live more. If you're the type of mum who is struggling with the burdens of motherhood or modern day life, then this will be a perfect book for you. If you're curious, you want to know more and you want to see what's up with that book, you can do so at www.marinapearson.com slash book. And on today's show, I have the beautiful Tanya Alfersi. Tanya works with women to help them see through all the myths and beliefs that they have about midlife change, otherwise known as perimenopause and menopause. I decided to bring her on because I personally was actually had a lot of symptoms such as breast pain, migraines, outbreaks uh, on the skin. And although I may not have had night sweats, I got curious about what was going on. And so I googled menopause, perimenopause, and Tanya came up. And so I reached out to her and decided that we would talk about this. So I asked her about her experience, her journey through it, what she's seen, the insights that she's had, and all of the myths that we buy into as women and as mums around this very subject. And what we found was is that the actual body is doing its job and we can trust it. That was the overarching message that I got from this discussion here today. So if you are going through the midlife change and you'll find yourself getting out anxious, hot sweats, have all the symptoms around that, then this is going to be an amazingly insightful episode for you. Enjoy. So welcome everybody. Oh, I'm so excited. I've got Tanya Alferzi today. Now, interestingly enough, this cat came about really quickly in a moment where I got curious about if there was anybody sharing their insights into perimenopause or at least symptoms because I've been having them. And so I, as a caveat, this podcast episode is extremely selfish because I wanted to actually get much more in understanding and insight into this whole new area that I'm also experiencing. And then Tanya's name came up and I was super excited. So I reached out to her and here we are. Fantastic. The way things work so quickly. (laughs) So Tanya, introduce yourself. What are you up to in the world right now? What had you get into what you're doing? So I'm an author, publisher, speaker, educator, coach, many things. And um, and my main goal, my main area of work is, is looking at how I can raise awareness around perimenopause and menopause and help women to take a different journey through this fascinating time of midlife change. And I know there may be women listening to it and be like, it's really not fascinating. <laughs> It's really, really hard. And the good news is that there is a different experience that we can have um, during this time. So I set up thewiserwoman.com where I work with women on on allowing them to journey through midlife change differently and reaching a cure, essentially reaching a cure for their symptoms 100% naturally and without too much effort at all. Oh my God, that sounds so lush. <laughs> Can I sign up, please? Um, so I'm curious, what got you started in this area? Yeah, so um, I'm almost 50 now. And when I was 43, I started having symptoms, which I had no clue whatsoever what was going on. I didn't realize, like so many women don't realize, that we start going through midlife change years before the change actually happens so just as when we're teenagers we don't wake up suddenly with fully developed breath and a period that is you know on on track that takes years just as when we come to the other end of our reproductive cycle that also takes years and I just I just didn't even think about menopause when I was in my 40s I like that just it didn't cross my mind and I thought, well, menopause happens in your early 50s. And, and I imagine that it must be quick for some reason, because I don't know why I thought that, but I did, and many of us do. And so I was having symptoms um, for a few years before I heard about perimenopause. 
And it started off, my symptoms started off with a real weakening of the immune system. I was getting all the kids' viruses they were bringing home, which had never happened before. I'd been a stay-at-home mom. And so, <laughs> okay, so that's how it started. And I, I'm, and then I had a little bit of hair loss, and I thought, well, this is strange. Like, what is going on? <laughs> um, and so I thought, well, I'll go to, I'll do some acupuncture or something and see if that can help. So I started going to acupuncture treatments, and the acupuncturist was able to boost my immune system and stop the hair loss. But then I started having other symptoms. I started having frequent migraines. I started having <laughs> uh, skin outbreaks and rashes and eczema and um, thrush. And the biggest thing that was really getting me down was I was having really a lot of mood swings. I just didn't feel like myself. I felt I normally thought that I was kind of an easygoing, optimistic kind of person uh, that could take things quite lightly and everything was bringing me down. And I, and I was crying a lot. And, and overall, I just didn't feel like myself. I just really, really wanted to feel like myself. And by chance, I heard this webinar by Dr. Christian Northrop that you may have heard of, maybe your listeners have heard of her too. She's a leading light in women's health. And she mentioned that many women in their 40s often have what she would call PMS on steroids. Take um, <laughs> Right. And I was like, PMS on steroids? That sounds like me. That sounds like <laughs> my experience. And that was the first time I'd heard about perimenopause, sort of two years into my symptoms. And during that time, I'd been running around with acupuncture, with healing, with herbs, with doing all kinds of different things, kinesiology, like all, anything that I could try, I was doing. And, um, and she said that, and I was like, oh, my God, I've ne- how is it I don't know about perimenopause? So I bought her book and started researching. And, and then I turned to my 40-something friends, and I was like, well, have you ever heard of perimenopause? And they were like, no, what's that? And I thought, well, and I started speaking to more and more women in their 40s, and no one really knew that we were going through change in our 40s, and lots of women were having symptoms. So I was like, well, this is just peculiar that none of us know that this is actually going on. And so I started doing more and more research, and, and I kind of made a promise to myself that because I saw that there was this, there was this gap of knowledge that was, it was hugely important to make it up so that women could understand what was going on and, and so that women didn't feel like they were going mad. Because as soon as you realize perimenopause, that like puts it in a framework, right? And just for your listeners, perimenopause is the time up to, first of all, menopause used to be one chunk of time that happened sort of in flow. It wasn't divided up into sections. And about 20 years ago, I think because of the need for doctors to understand where a woman is in her cycle because of HRT, um, menopause got divided up. And then it became known as perimenopause and menopause, which is this point in time, one year after your last period, and then postmenopause. And so there's a problem because we've all heard of menopause, right? But it became this 50-something thing because menopause became this point in time rather than this whole process of change. So if I look at, for example, I have a very old copy of Our Bodies Ourselves, very old, well, <laughs> from the early 90s, and perimenopause isn't mentioned there, but menopause there is understood to be a 40-something, 50-something thing, right? So over the years, it became this point in time. And so that means that women who are going through the change in their 40s just lack the knowledge because we don't think that that's happening to us. We don't think we're in menopause. So medicine has divided up perimenopause, menopause, postmenopause. And so I made this sort of promise to myself. I was like, well, if I ever find a cure, and I really was interested in finding a natural cure, that was, that was what I was trying to do. If I ever find a cure, then I, I really need to share it. And what happened was is that I was taking all these potions and herbs and doing acupuncture and doing all this stuff, and managing to get some kind of relief, but, but not completely. And I knew there was always something in the background. It just felt like, it just felt like I was managing symptoms, really, but not really managing to cure them. And, and I realized at some point that 
well, I, I think I need to come off everything and actually sit in my symptoms and then I'm going to understand what's going on. And I did that and I sort of, I, I remember I continued with acupuncture sort of every month because I'm, I was too scared to come off that, but I was, I remember also crying on crying there on the massage table for being, you know, down on, downwards, it <laughs> went through the hole. And, um, and I, I, all my symptoms came back full force. And then I came across what I know you discussed in this podcast, the understanding of the three principles of innate health. And very quickly, I had an insight that I didn't have to take my thoughts so seriously. And what was going on in my life at that time was after being a stay-at-home mum for a number of years, I had gone back to work um, by um, co-authoring and publishing, self-publishing a book on motherhood, which the book had won awards and lots of praise. Yeah, mums loved it. I couldn't sell it, though. I couldn't sell the book. And it, it, it's this beautiful book, this hardback, full-color gift book um, for mums. And, and we, we put a lot of money into it, um, my husband and I, and I couldn't, I couldn't sell it. Like, you know, not what I thought that I was going to sell. I couldn't reach my sales targets, which were hugely ambitious. And to put that in context, I used to work in technology companies in marketing and, and uh, corporate communications. And, and so I thought, oh, well, you know, this is, this is my project. I don't know how to do that. And everything about the book creation was in flow, and thus the book won awards. After that, I was like, oh, God, I've got so much to learn about marketing these days because when I left the corporate world, it was before Facebook, before blogging, before you know all this stuff. So I was like, oh, God, I've got all that to learn, and now I need to look outside and learn how everyone else is working on the Internet. And I was always looking outside for the solution, outside the solution, not managing to sell my book, feeling really bad and a failure and realizing how it was impacting life for me at home with the kids and feeling guilty about myself in motherhood and just trying, like really peddling on empty, you know, just like working really late nights and, and just, and not getting the results that I wanted and just, watching the time pass, not getting the results, not selling like I thought I was going to sell and feeling like a total failure. And, and this sort of clicked into this idea that I had of myself that I could set goals and make them happen because if I look back in my life, that was the story I picked out for my life. That wasn't what happened at every moment in my life. But that was the story I created about myself that I I lived in many different countries and when I wanted to get a job like this, I got out and got a job like that. And when I wanted to buy an apartment, I bought an apartment. And, you know, all these things that I had, I had set a goal for and then achieved, although now I understand it's because I didn't really hold those goals very tightly and it was all very much like, oh, yeah, I think I'm going to buy an apartment now. And I think I'm going to do it in this neighborhood. And yeah, and I'm just going to keep on doing it until it happens rather than I'm going to go, 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 right? So like my life I'd been taking very lightly and then it came to this stage and suddenly I was taking everything very, very seriously and feeling not enough. And this is what I so often hear from women this stage in life and for different women, it's for different reasons. And women say to me, what you... That was all about not selling a book, but it was all about a much bigger story that I had about myself, about the kind of woman I needed to be, about the kind of money I should be earning, about the contribution, the financial contribution I should be making to the family, about myself as a feminist, all of these things coming in together. And these thoughts running through my head, and I wasn't able to let them go. And I didn't understand that when we have thoughts running through our head, we just don't actually have to take them seriously because every thought of I'm not enough is made of the same stuff as what book should I read next, right? It, it's, it's of the same stuff. So why do we actually need to take it seriously? So I had this insight of I don't have to take my thoughts so seriously and I think it will be easier if I don't. 
was like, well, that's, that's just going to be fabulous because I'm all for easy. Yeah. And, um, and in that moment, I thought, well, I think I've just cured my PMS. I think that felt like, wow, on that emotional level, I think I've just done that. And it turns out that I cured my night sweats and my eczema and my migraines and my um, skin rashes and everything cleared up literally within days. And I thought, well, this is just a bit unbelievable, really. I don't really understand how that could be. That, could, that you know, one insight could have such an impact, but it did. And I went on symptom-free for about nine months. And then there was some stuff going on at my kids' school and we were trying to get changes made. And my husband and I, we were sort of leading this revolution and we had all these parents with us and then all these parents weren't with us. And we were the only ones in the revolution. (laughs) And we were the only ones going to the meetings with the, you know, the local authority and the head and everything. And... I was getting really stressed out from it all. And and my symptoms started creeping back. And I thought, oh, God, I thought I understood this. And I'd already began sort of sharing a little bit what I had seen. And then I had another insight, which was, oh, I'm designed for joy. Like my life is designed for joy. And that allowed me to slip back out of all the symptoms and go back into my innate health and my symptoms all went away again. So that was sort of like um, a rubber stamp for me. (laughs) I'm going to say, oh, yeah, this stuff really does work because if I can cure my symptoms, as it were, twice, then just through insight, then there's really something powerful in this understanding. And... I'm really impacted by this. Um, Yeah, I'm really... (sighs) Thank you. Thank you for sharing that, um, Tanya. It's really hopeful. It's really hopeful um, that we can sit in innate health and not realise it. And how beautiful it was that you got to experience that in such a powerful and actually really obvious way. Um, Because, you know, I've seen years of depression fall off, you know, clients in a moment. And just leaving them with nothing on their mind and, as far as I can tell, that's actually so hopeful for humanity and so hopeful for what's possible, like what is really possible and, and, and how little we know about what's possible. <laughs> right, right. Because, you know, what, we, what happens to us is we come to this point of, of midlife change and we 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 come in with these ideas. Like once we've realised we're heading towards menopause, like the whole understanding of menopause that we get from society is a negative one, right? The end of your reproductive is, and that's historically been the case, right? If we look back in history, the, the understanding of what a woman is beyond her reproductive years, she was, woman was considered not the norm. through like going back to ancient Greek and, and Roman writings, right? She just wasn't, and, and through like all medical writings, like until very recently, the w- woman was not the norm. And postmenopausal woman was like not the norm minus, right? Because woman was only defined in her reproductive role. And so moving beyond her reproductive role, like it wasn't understood, well, what, what, what is she then? Right? And there was almost a fear of her because when women aren't busy with young children, they don't have a child on their breast and they don't have children running around their toes, <laughs> right? Then they have time for other things, mm. right? And so, the, so a woman post-menopause was feared because she all of a sudden could look beyond her children, 
right? And she could see something in life that wasn't revolving around the children. And so if you look through history and you start researching, for example, the witches that were burned in the Middle Ages in Europe and in the States, who were those women witches? Most of them were women. And who were those women? Most of them were, were menopausal women. Oh, right? really? because, yes, because they were moving, they were sort of moving out. Often they were women who had been widowed or who had never married and they were able to live outside of what was considered acceptable society. And, and they weren't interested in, in being caught up in this life which could oppress them, right? They were just like living by themselves, doing their own thing. And those were jet often the women who were called witches. They were just women who didn't conform, as it were. That would have been me, I'm sure. Right, would have been me, right? So, <laughs> so it seems to be actually part of the design that come midlife, the switch that's been off or on, however you look at it, that has enabled us to give of ourselves to, if we're in that position of mothering, to give of ourselves to younger children, right? Something changes when we move towards the end of our reproductive years that says, oh, now you can look at yourself, right? And now you can look inside and find what you want, right? Now, if there was that drive when we have to look after young children or, or when we have the capacity in terms of our reproductive cycles to look after young children, then it would, there would kind of be a conflict of interest with the interest of the species, right? Because if women were just like just looking at themselves without that capacity to look after others when they're raising children, then it would kind of be a conflict of interest, like I said. But there's something that happens at midlife that allows us to step into that, to step into that awareness of what are our passions? What are mm-hmm. our dreams? What do we need to connect to that innate joy that lives within us? Now, I'm not saying for mothers who maybe listen to this and they're not, they're not moving in, you know, they don't feel like they're in perimenopause or coming close to menopause or, and they're like, well, I can do that. Yeah, we can. But I'm just talking about what appears to be the innate design of what, of what we're, it's like almost capable, but it's of, of what we're, what, what's being, what's bubbling up for us at the time, right? And it appears that what's bubbling up for us at midlife can, can be very different to what bubbles up for us in our 20s and 30s when we can be driven and we can run after the career, the relationships, the, the kids, whatever we want, whatever we set as our targets. And something happens at midlife that the design is saying, now look after what you really want. So in our day and age, because here's the thing that I see, um, you know, working with mums who are very driven, right? I usually attract type A's who are like me. Um, I don't know if that resonates with you, Tanya, at any point in this conversation. But so, and, and so, you know, it is about coming back to us. I love what you said, like this innate design, because actually I think we don't understand it, as you rightly say, and I think there needs to be more awareness around this. It's not something bad. It's something right. that actually we can listen to and learn from. And so I'm curious about, you know, how it's possible for us as mothers who are wanting to create things in the world to balance that with, I say balance, but to like listen to our bodies. Because what I'm hearing you say is, is that, it's time for us to go in. It's a time for us to slow down. It's a time for us to take care of ourselves. Even the conversation I had with you the other day about napping in the afternoon. I I proudly went to bed in the afternoon and napped for an hour and I felt great afterwards, right? 
because there is so much judgment about what we need to do, how we need to do it. And money seems to be the massive driver. Like I must make money so that I can fend for my children and make sure that they're well fed and so forth and so on. So how can we move through this transition in a way that is graceful, um, that is, that is, that is welcomed as opposed to something that is shunned and that we should just get on with it and do it. Right. Right. I think what, what I'm seeing um, with my work with different women is that, is that there's something that pushes us to listen to a different voice inside of us that we haven't necessarily spent a long time learning that it even exists or being open to hear it. Right. And that is really the voice of innate wisdom that runs through us and has always run through us. Right. But what appears is that if a woman is in a job that really doesn't light her up or in a relationship that doesn't light her up or is in some other situation that doesn't match with her joy, then she's going to hear that she needs to make a shift and that voice is going to get louder. And there are so many women who suddenly realize, oh, I just need to leave my job, right? Or I just need to make a shift in the relationship. I'm not saying the classic midlife crisis, by the way, which is totally made up. It's a cultural um, once in an article. (laughs) And then it became a thing, right? That's, but what is the midlife crisis essentially? That is, that is us hearing something within and not understanding, right? Because wisdom is never going to say, blow everything up, right? And hurt all these people and, and run off to Vegas, right? Especially if you don't like Vegas, right? But women find themselves, and Carissa Pinkolis, these, talks about this in Women Who Run With The Wolves, which is a really wonderful book that I recommend women read at midlife. And I know it's a very thick book. And it was a book that I had since my 20s. And when I first read it, I was like, this is really deterministic. I just can't bear it. And then I reread it in my 40s. And I was like, oh, oh, now I get what she's talking about. Because she also talks about this idea that women have lived their lives being starved of things that will light them up, like of their passions, of following their dreams, because they've been putting them to the side and and looking after other people or, you know, chasing after their career or, or doing whatever it was and not making space for those passions. Now, it seems that in our 20s and 30s, our body lets us get away with that. And, and maybe it's like a sense of, well, you'll learn, right? come out 40s and 50s, the body's saying, oh, no, now is the time. Now's the time you need to reconnect to your passion, to your joy. Now's the time you realize you deserve to live in a loving relationship. Now's the time you know that you deserve to do something with your day that isn't going to drain all your energy and make you feel however you feel. And we need to learn to listen to that, to be able to hear that voice because we've spent our lives not listening to it. We've spent our lives trying to think, oh, well, never mind, right? Just as we spend our lives during our reproductive cycles getting PMS and we're like, oh, I don't need to listen to that because, because I'm getting my period tomorrow because that's just my hormones speaking, right? Instead of realizing that what happens on that day before our period during our reproductive years is very similar to what's happening throughout perimenopause. The hormones are lining up to create a sensitive time so that we can hear something different and so that we can learn something. So during our 20s and 30s, every single month, it's like coming knocking at the door and we can like, well, I'm feeling just too emotional and I'm just going to ignore it because tomorrow I'm getting my period. 
right? And then come perimenopause, that one day can spread over to two weeks, as it was in my case, right? And many women right, experience that. And we can't ignore it anymore, right? Now, with the understanding that we have from the three principles, we know that it doesn't mean that when I'm feeling angry or anxious or upset or full of fear, as many women do, like experience these feelings in a more extreme way, right? I speak to women, they're like, I'm anxious to, to drive. I'm anxious to, to, to you know, go to work. I'm anxious to, to do whatever they're doing. And all of a sudden, this anxiety seems to be exploding. It seems to be sort of everywhere for them. And it's not that that anxiety is telling them something about what is real, right? But that anxiety is pointing a light to where their state of mind is, to where their thinking is in that moment. And it's part of the design, right? It's not working against us, these more extreme feelings at midlife. It's working for us, right? Because it's encouraging us to to make shifts. So if we're caught up in this idea of I'm not enough and it's making us cry every time, that doesn't mean that you are not enough. That means that the body is reacting and creating a feeling to help you see that you don't need to follow that thinking, right? It's not giving you clarity, right? We don't hear that I'm not enough. That comes through as, I can only describe it as the bitch voice, right? It comes through, it doesn't sound clear. It doesn't sound that it arrives with clarity. It doesn't sound like wisdom, right? Wisdom never comes as that voice, right? But we listen to it. We think it's real and then we're crying and upset, and we think, well, that must mean that it's more real. No, that's the body reacting. It's really interesting because um, as I've listened to you, I, I've come to see something, just, just even having a conversation with you yesterday, and I didn't even realise it until yesterday, of course. <laughs> Because when you were going through the symptoms of like uh, migraines, this and that, and the other, I was like, oh my God, I could tick all of those boxes about three months ago. And actually, they've all gone, minus the breast tenderness that still comes. And actually, one of those months in February, February, I didn't have any breast tenderness. And so it's interesting to me because... Um, what I've seen is, is that we can get really caught up in the symptoms, right? Like, do you, do you find that with women that it's like, oh my God, I'm, yes, of course. I've got breast tenderness, this is an issue, or right. I've got these migraines, this is an issue. Um, I don't feel like me anymore, whatever that was back then anyway. Um, and we believe that symptoms are an issue as opposed to the body's wisdom saying, hey, I've got something to tell you. <laughs> right, right. And it's it's like the body, here's what I'm seeing more and more. It's really impossible for the body to work outside of wisdom, right? But we've bought into this idea that our bodies malfunction rather than our bodies do what they need to do with the conditions that are presented to them, right? So. For example, if we take the classic symptom of hot flushes and night sweats, which, by the way, women often experience night sweats earlier on in the change and then they become hot flushes. They don't have to become hot flushes. But um, what's going on with that as I see it? If we look at times when we're in hormonal change, which is our teenage years, when a woman is pregnant, when a woman is postpartum, a woman, a woman is going through perimenopause or menopause. At all of those times, our body temperature actually rises, right? If, if listeners have, have got teenage children, they, 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 they may have seen this or they may remember from themselves. But there comes a time in a child's life where they're like, I'm not going out with a coat because I'm hot, 
<laughs> right? And and they they just want to walk around with t-shirt and shorts when you're like, I think you should put on some, you know, trousers or you know, maybe a cardigan or whatever. And like, I'm hot, I'm hot. And I've seen this with my kids. And we all know pregnant women, it's like people say, you know, they've got like an oven <laughs> going on and they feel hot. And certainly postpartum, lots of women can 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 say, you know, I used to sweat so much postpartum. And I remember myself just, you know, breastfeeding my kids, just sweating, sweating. But because it's not part of the narrative of being postpartum, and it's not really like, it's kind of, you know, a joke, oh, yeah, pregnant women are hotter thing. And then teenagers, it's just how teenagers are. We don't associate that heat with anything negative. Now, come midlife, we've got the classic symptoms of hot flushes and night sweats. And the way I understand what's happening is, first of all, the body's temperature has risen because that's what the body does when it goes through hormonal change. Now, why it might do this, you won't read about this in medical literature as far as I can see. Why it might do this is because the body is putting energy into change, right? It, when, we're, when we're a girl moving into a teenager, when we're pregnant or when we're postpartum, the body is putting energy into change. And because it's putting energy into change, it might be that it just has less tolerance then to do what it regularly does, which is sort of fight bacteria or fight off viruses, etc. And so it raises the body temperature as a defensive mechanism because it's saying, well, I'm just putting myself in a bit more prepared. I'm in a bit better position if I raise the body temperature to fight anything that comes along, right? Because that's what temperature does. That's why we have fever when we have a virus or we have bacteria. Right, that need to be need to be uh, killed. So, so the temperature rises a little bit, and so we're in this state of being a little bit hotter. And then we get caught up in our thinking, right? Which is really the number one thing that I see. But also, perhaps we're not exercising, we're not eating well, we're not sleeping enough, right? And so this stress is being put on our body systems. Right, and the body rides the the rise in temperature to create some kind of signal. For me, I see it like an open window. Right, that 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 is a way to communicate with us, and we get night sweat, and we get flush. Right now, I can tell you, but I can't remember the last time I'd had night sweats until I came across there was some online mm, mob <laughs> bullying of me um, that was going on. And oh, it was very personal and lots of name calling, people calling me names and I sort of became like this witch or whatever. And, um, and I was taking it very personally and I was kind of forgetting that, oh, I could definitely have a different experience of this if I just wait, if I just sell, let my thinking settle. And those people who are getting really angry are also you know, just working from their thinking in that moment. Mm -hmm. And there were a few days where I was taking it very seriously. And during those few days, lo and behold, at 3 a.m., I was starting to have night sweats. Wow. Yeah, such as my body. That's where my body works. But I think it's not just my body, right? So the thing is, because I know what's going on, at 3 a.m., I didn't have to have any thinking about those symptoms. I was just like, Oh, yeah, I've been taking all that online stuff really personally, and now I'm having a night sweat. And then I won't have a night sweat. And so it took a few days, a few nights of night sweats, and then they disappeared again. And they disappeared when I settled. Mm. And when I wasn't settled, I didn't have, I didn't make a story about it. I knew what, I could see what was going on, right? I could feel the storm in my head. And it was okay, because when we're in the storm, we're always going to come out of it. And that just helped me just pass through those few days without anything. And a few years ago when I was new to this, and for example, when I gave that example of how I was in this fight with the school and all my symptoms came out, I used to have, a, you know, I would have a lot of thinking about that. I thought I understood this. I'm not supposed to have symptoms. And da, da, da. And now I just like, oh, yeah, that's just what my body's doing right now. So you were saying that the stress that we create 
personally, right, um, with our thinking and the, through the principle of thought, is actually what then creates the symptoms in the body. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I would, I would say that I've seen, I've just seen it too often that when we reach an understanding of how our experience is created and we can take our thoughts lighter, then our symptoms start clearing up. Now, what happened to me, you know, I often say to him, I wish I could just cut, you know, copy and paste it and, and give it to you. But, but each woman has to come to their own understanding. And what's with me, it would happen that all my symptoms cleared up at once. Sometimes what, happen, what happens is that women see something and perhaps the stomach problems that they've been having stop. And perhaps the night sweats that they've been having stop. And it, and it can work much more gradually. But th- that's how change happens. And that's how we can return to our innate health during midlife change. Now, women might be listening to this and saying, yeah, but weren't we never supposed to live beyond menopause? Like, isn't, isn't that why we're having symptoms? Because this is a real message that's been put out to women in the, over the last century that the only reason we're having symptoms is because average life expectancy used to be 40. And the thing is that that's just not true. Women have always lived beyond menopause. What used to happen centuries ago is that average life expectancy was low because infant and child mortality was very high. So you had one third of children not reaching six and two thirds of children not getting it past, not reaching past 16. And once you were lucky enough to live into adulthood, you definitely had a very good chance of living into your 70s and which means post-menopause. So by design, our bodies know how to move beyond menopause. So there, there is this narrative like, oh, we're malfunctioning because our bodies don't know. And we'll malfunction because we were never supposed to live this long. And, and that's just not true. Like how can our bodies have known without, without needing intervention how to transform from a baby to a girl, from a girl to a teenager, from a teenager to a young woman, from a woman to a pregnant woman often, a mother? Right, and all of this can happen without intervention, and then come midlife, what we're we're malfunctioning on mass, right? It just doesn't make any logical sense, and it's not in the interest of the species. It's actually in the interest of the species that we are allowed to become what I call, you know, wiser women. We're allowed to step into our wiser woman role, because that's what our families need. That's what society needs. So it begs the question, actually, which I'm kind of curious about, which is why do the, why do different symptoms manifest differently for different people? So I'm curious, right. like, you know, right. some have migraines, others don't, others have breast tenderness, um, others have um, night sweats, you know, different, right. different, different symptoms. Is there anything in that? Like, I'm curious about that. Yeah. So I think that what, what happens is because I often speak to women and they're like, yeah, I haven't ever had this symptom except when I was pregnant or when I was a teenager. So for example, I have very sensitive skin. First realized that when I was a teenager and then had skin problems again when I was pregnant, right? Having eczema, the same eczema that I had at perimenopause, I also had when I was pregnant. So each person is born with a certain design that maybe has weaknesses or you can call it strengths or I'd like just to call it sort of open windows in which the body communicates with us, right? I know that my skin is more sensitive when I'm not in balance, as it were. Right. When I'm up it, and I saw it, you know, it can come back when I'm up in my head, then it could be an, like I've just explained, that incident of the night sweats, or it could be that I start getting eczema a bit again on my hands or something like that. That's the way that my body communicates with me. And, and it could be that there are some symptoms that just happen 
because the body, like I said, the body is going through this sensitive time. So when the body is putting energy into the change, right, just as when it puts energy into into um, the the unborn child when we're pregnant, right, then it doesn't have this, its other systems don't function perhaps as as efficiently as they as they did do when we're in our thirties and twenties. So some women, for example, they had IBS when they're a teenager and it starts up, it flares up again when they're in their forties. Okay. It's just like the, the system is becoming more sensitive. So it, like I said, it's like open windows. It's like, Oh, my body communicates with me through my skin, through my stomach, through my head, through, through, through whatever it is. And, and that is just how it is. We don't have to create a story about it. Right. It's actually calling us to, to look after ourselves. Like I, like we, like we can get away with it, right? During our twenties and thirties, at least I did. Oh my God, the amount of things that I did to my body back then, but I hit 40 and it was like, oh, <laughs> I'm in a body. Oh, um, my immune system's a bit shot. Oh, um, I, I'm getting my son's cold every six weeks. Oh, um, I'm not digesting very well. Oh, um, like I came up with a um, last, so, so since November, I, I had the herpes virus that just kept coming up again and again and again in my mouth. And it's gone now. But it, 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 there was a thing happening. And while I supplemented and so forth, um, I realized that, that there was definitely some stuff going on with regards to the immune system. And what you're saying right now, thank you, kind of makes so much sense. Like if we're going through a change, then we need to support ourselves in right. the best way that we can. And it might be through supplementation. It might be through nutrition. It might be through just doing like looking in this direction that we call the three principles, which is the principle of mind, consciousness, and thought, all three, all four, um, whatever we feel called to. Um, But what I've heard you say today is, is that it's a call for us to slow down, for us to listen, for us to become aware that we can't live the life that we used to in our 20s and 30s, even though we attempt to, right? I'm sure... Have you seen that with moms who attempt to still kind of live that sort of lifestyle? Yeah, yeah um, of course. We think that there is, like we've been told that our value lies in not showing any change, right? So we can dress, especially today, like, the, like once older women used to wear sort of different things than younger women. And, and today it's just, and I'm not saying that's bad at all, but like, you know, I could easily wear the same clothes as my teenage daughter, right? Which I don't think used to happen through history. But the thing is, and I don't mind that. I don't mind doing that. But the, but the thing is, it comes with a message of there is no change, right? Dye your hair, Botox your face, wear the same things that you wore in your 20s, um, work out really hard so that your body, you know, doesn't change. And that's the message that we get, you know, just don't change if you want to be accepted don't change because and women are really aware of it because they reach their their 40s and their 50s and they realize oh I'm becoming invisible right and for some women actually they're like oh great I'm becoming invisible and for other women it's like I don't want to be invisible right and so we take on these messages that society's telling us like don't change don't change whereas in other societies they understand that change happens and that's just fine. And the societies where elders have respect, there is something to look forward to, right? I'm going to be respected as an elder. I'm going to sit in my wiser woman role and it doesn't matter what color my hair goes and it doesn't matter what's sitting beneath my tunic, right? Because I'm moving into a different role. And in the West, we just... We just don't have that built into the narrative about what a woman's life. So I love this because the other thing I kind of, it kind of brought me back to, I wrote down here was um, there's a sense that once my symptoms are gone, then it, then life will be okay. So we attempt to get rid of the symptoms and make them bad 
as opposed to realizing that they're actually telling us something and, and they're telling us something of value. Um, but we think that we're scared of them, right? That there's like something to be scared right. of. I know, I, by the way, I'll put my hand up and I've Googled. <laughs> like, oh my God, like breast pain. What the fuck's happening? Right. That- um, interesting yeah. about breast pain is it could just be like, maybe that's just what your body needs to do. Right. Maybe whatever's going on inside your breast is just what your body needs to do at that time. Right. And it seems to me that when we're a little bit tired, a little bit not taking care of ourselves, maybe not eating so well, maybe we haven't moved <laughs> for a while, then maybe the breast pain gets a bit bigger. Right. But like freaking out from our symptoms the way we do comes from this idea of, oh my God, my body's malfunctioning rather than a trust of, you know what? My body knows, my body knows how to move through the change. And the whole of medical approach since the last century towards menopausal women was based on an idea that women's bodies don't know, right? It was, there were also ideas that were concurrent with this idea of a woman's body doesn't know how to get through menopause, which is that a woman's body doesn't know how to give birth. A woman's body doesn't know how to make food for her baby, right? And so women, until the 1970s or, or even 80s in the US and also in the UK as well, were being put to sleep to give birth, right? And the idea behind that is that the woman's body doesn't know. And then postpartum, women were being told in hospitals, you need to feed your baby this formula, which is superior to your breast milk. Again, the woman's body doesn't know. And in the, six, in the 1960s, when, age, when hormone therapy became really popular for the first time, that was also the idea. Menopause was called, was called a disease, a hormone deficiency disease that needed to be treated for life. The underlying theory behind that is that the woman's body doesn't know. The woman's body needs to be, you know, it needs supplements of hormones because it doesn't know how to move beyond menopause. But here's the thing. Our bodies do know. Our bodies have this divine energy running through us since the day we were born. In fact, menopause begins even before we are born. We start losing eggs. We have the most amount of eggs three months before we are born. And our eggs start disintegrating before we're even born. And that process just continues on until it gets to menopause and our egg supply dries out, right? So it's been on the cards. It's been part of the design. And we, we come to midlife and we think, oh, my body just doesn't know. It doesn't know what it's doing. It's, you know, having hot flushes. It must be malfunctioning. No, that doesn't mean our body's malfunctioning. It just means that our body's doing what it thinks it needs to do at this time. Because this revolutionizes the way that we view the body. It revolutionizes the way that we come to any kind of change that we're in. Um, And I was going to ask you, what myths have you found around perimenopause? But do you have any more that (laughs) (laughs) we can be here all night? The biggest myth, and I've written about this on my blog, is that the biggest myth is that we need estrogen post-menopause. I think that's the biggest myth. And that, and that menopause is this hormone deficiency disease. And today, doctors won't use the word disease, although they were very happy to use that just a few decades ago, right? But still, um, there you know, estrogen supplements or estrogen-based hormone therapy has been given to women. And there's still this idea that um, it will help you prevent heart disease or it will help you prevent other disease. And even I hear from women lots lots of times that they want, you know, they have maybe the coil um, as a contraceptive device inside them and with hormones, right? And, and they go to the doctor and they feel like it's time that that came out. They feel like they don't want the hormones anymore. And so often doctors like, oh no, keep it in. Keep it in because it's good for you. 
right? And that idea came from mid last century when they made up all these stories about why women need estrogen to prevent us to ha- having heart disease, strokes, dementia, um, et cetera, et cetera. And that's all a myth. And it all comes from this idea. Oh, a woman's, um, woman's hormones aren't being produced. But, and, and so she is no longer in her reproductive years, but we don't know how to define her if she's not in her reproductive years. So if she doesn't have that hormone anymore. Surely she needs that hormone because that's how we defined her, right? Estrogen was the hormone that defined her reproductive capabilities. Well, what, what is her role now she doesn't have those capabilities anymore, right? She must need estrogen, right? And so this is just all, again, it comes back to this idea of like, oh, if our bodies are naturally depleting estrogen, as, they, as every woman's body throughout the globe does, maybe that's just what needs to happen. Maybe we can go back to estrogen levels of a prepubescent girl, which, by the way, those are our estrogen levels, and we can look at prepubescent girls and go, well, how many symptoms do they have? (laughs) (laughs) Right? But they used to give women estrogen for life. Now, I'm not saying to any of your listeners, if you're taking hormone therapy, that's between you and your doctor. And I'm not, and medicine is not one plus one equals two. And I know um, Dr. Ann Curtis was, was on your podcast. And I heard her say something once which really impacted me. And she's like, I can't listen or, or, or take seriously most of medical research because it doesn't take into account the power of thought. Right. And so some women that come in and get, like, get their hormone therapy that they've been really looking forward to and they wanted to get their blood test back because today, even though, med- even though doctors won't say it's a disease, they treat the diagnosis of menopause like a disease. There's no like a woman will know when she's going through the change because she'll feel it. No, you have to go and get your blood tested and your hormones tested. And then they'll come back and they'll say, oh, you're in menopause. And, and they'll tell other women who have like a ton of symptoms, they're like, oh, no, you're not in menopause. Because and the day when you got your hormones tested, it came back like this, so it doesn't mean you're a menopause. That was never, you know, women can know when they're going through the change if they have the education about what the change feels like and what women experience, right? But, but, but doctors have been, there are women that go to the doctor and they're like, I just want to be in menopause so I can get that hormone therapy. I can get my hands on hormone therapy. And then they've got this whole idea of what hormone therapy is going to do for them. And guess what? Probably they feel really good, right? And there are other women who will take the hormone therapy and they'll feel really bad, right? And it goes back to what Anne was saying. Like it doesn't take, no research takes into account the power of thought. And they know about the placebo effect, right? Mm-hmm. And, and what, what, med- what, uh, <laughs> what drug companies do these days is they sort of, test people they're able to test people that are more likely to exhibit the placebo effect right they have a more positive outcome a bigger belief in the power of medicine and they take those people and they put them in their drug trials so if you can imagine then what happens to yes so we don't so i you know if there are listeners here like i'm on hormone therapy and i feel great that's fine you know, I'm not going to, I never tell women, I'm not a doctor. I don't go into that level of what you should be taking, what you shouldn't be taking. But I am encouraging women to listen to their bodies because there, there is a great lesson to be learned at midlife. And it is designed to protect us, not only during this sensitive time of change, but to protect us for decades to come. Because when you look at incidences of, of um, chronic disease, Etc. We put that all on the graph. There's no doubt that something happens at midlife that those numbers start going up, right? That doesn't mean that we are going down that path of chronic disease from midlife on. But there is this opportunity that we shouldn't miss to learn about what our innate, where our innate health lies, right, and how we can sit in that. Right. And so just about every woman who I speak to, um, and they're all making changes. 
right? And they're making changes for the better. They're making healthy changes. They're cleaning up their diet. They're exercising a little bit more if they haven't been before. And I'm not talking about them, you know, you need to go out and run a marathon or whatever. But you just need to listen to what kind of movement does your body need? What could you add to your diet just to clean it up a bit? What can you do with your sleep? What can you ha- what can shift in your life that's going to bring you more joy, right? And and most of all, how can this understanding really enrich your experience for decades to come? And, re- and you're really going to get the benefit from it if you allow this wisdom that's bubbling up inside of you to guide you, mm-hmm. right? Because you're going to be set in a healthy pattern of life and your body knows what's healthy right and that's why it's acting it's so true like um when i hear you speak i know that i've it's so funny right like about three years ago i kind of realized i did that i lived in a body <laughs> it was a body that i was living in um and i was very scared of it actually because i i abused it so much for so long and I was scared of what I would find. But over time, I've come to really sort of understand it much better and kind of become more aware of what I, what's going on in it. And, it. and it seemed to me that somehow um, everything was heightened, like pain or sensitivity or sleep or whatever, and, or, or feeling tired. And I realized actually, no, that's actually got more to do with the fact that I'm actually much more in tune with it than I was before. Right. There's, there's an awareness that's been created. And so recently, I, you know, I'm, I'm on the celery juice. I'm not saying that everybody should go on it, but it's something that kind of called to me. And I know that it cleans out my system every day. Um, that there's a sense that yogas and, and walking is much more in line with, with, the kind of exercise that I want to do versus running or, you know, um, doing anything that's like super hyper cardio based. Right. Um, so it comes back to where the energy wants to go and what it wants to do and how it wants to be expressed. Right. Like, but I guess if you've never been aware of it, if you've only been surviving and going through the motions, it can be a massive shock. <laughs> to find right. I live in a body. (laughs) And especially because we have this idea that, oh, like, surely I don't, like, my body isn't, it's not mine to, to, like, I need to give away my power, right? That's what we do with with modern medicine. We we say, oh, yeah, there's my body, but that's the doctor who's going to fix it. But I just need that pill out there that's going to make me better. I just need that potion, right? And that's not necessarily, I mean, I'm not saying that's never the case, that we need something from outside. And, and animals self-medicate as well, by the way. So, so there, we can work with things around us that, that exist and, and, and see medicine as part of you know, our, our system. And yet it seems that what the body wants us to know is is how we can work with it in the best way. It's like it's our companion for life, right? And it's also our partner in health. And how we're going to work for it with it in the best way that's going to serve us by keeping us healthy and serve the species as well. Beautiful, Tanya. I love this. So if someone wants to contact you because they're like, oh, my God, I have breast pain, migraine, um, night sweats, HRT that isn't bloody well working, um, not sleeping, because that's another one, right? Is is like hormone levels are up and I just don't sleep anymore. Um, how can they contact you? What, what, what's the first step? Yes. So my website is thewiserwoman.com beautiful wiserwoman.com and they can go there and first of all there's a lot of of resources available on my blog where i write about uh, specific issues like sleep and libido and and um all these like different symptoms that we experience so um that's a great place to start and obviously there you can you can contact me directly from there or you can look me up on facebook or Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Now, if any of you can hear what's going on in the bang, banging in the background, I don't know if you can hear it. 
um, there's a big old fiesta in the town today. Oh, great. <laughs> <laughs> Off you go. Go on, your party hat. <laughs> and, and they're really loud in this area of Spain, um, and they love to throw, yeah, it's going to end now. Thank God. Um, so thank you so much. I've, I've, I'm so glad you came on here today and I'm so excited for, for the mums and women to listen to this. Um, yeah. And so for everybody that's been listening in, I hope it was an insightful episode as, as, as I have deemed it to be. And then, yeah, until the next time, bye-bye for now. And there we have it, another amazing episode of The Joy of Being. If you enjoyed this podcast, you may well enjoy the book as well. You can either download a free chapter, www.marinapearson.com slash chapter, where I go into much more depth into how we can create more time and space as mum. And if that doesn't fly and you're more curious about getting the entire book, then you can do that too at www.marinapearson.com slash book. Until the next time, remember, you are the joy you seek.